Our meditation for this seventh Sunday after Trinity is on our Old Testament reading. Hear the word of our Lord from Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 17. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The second chapter of Genesis often strikes us as mysterious, but uninviting. We learn some geographic facts, hear about where the Garden of Eden was, see how Adam was created, and observe the stage being set for the fall in the third chapter. Reading through Genesis, it is easy to skim this passage and move on to the juicier passages about the creation of Eve, the fall, the proto-evangelium of Genesis 3 verse 15, and so forth. A few earnest souls get caught up in the precise location of Eden, hoping that perhaps they could find something worthwhile for the sake of the faith. Maybe ruins surround the area, or the presence of fossilized fruit trees of every stripe. To find this garden would be an amazing discovery, so various expeditions are made, research conducted, and findings presented as these energized Bible readers embark on their own Indiana Jones-style adventure. But whether someone skims over the passage, or if they delve into archaeological mysteries, it seems to me that few dwell on the theology that Scripture gives us concerning the Garden of Eden, or the importance of places and objects in the Bible. If we only dwelt upon it more, we would understand that what happens in this passage happens two more times. Let's go deeper. Now, before anyone accuses me of thinking too allegorically, what Moses is writing about here actually happened. I'm merely highlighting today that something deeper occurred than, hey, a new guy became alive and ended up in a garden. In our passage, our Lord gives three gifts to Adam, life, place, and purpose. 
he does so in that order that Adam may see God's care and grace given to him unconditionally. Before Eden was planted, our Lord made Adam from the dust of the ground. Then he breathed life into the man with the word breath being synonymous in Moses' writing with spirit. God breathed the spirit of life into Adam at his forming as only God is capable of doing. This is important, beloved, as our Lord did not have to bring life to this body that he had made. Before receiving the breath, the spirit of life, Adam was just a corpse, an object. So life is the first gift. Then, having created a human being in his own image, our Lord graciously makes a home for him and brings forth fruit-bearing trees. Out of love for the man he had just given life, our Heavenly Father then feeds him and brings him to a garden suitable for living. Fresh, drinkable water is present from a giant river that splits off in the cardinal directions, perfect for irrigating. So Adam has food and water, but he also has opportunity for other pursuits. There are treasures of gold and various gemstones just waiting for him to find as he explores this paradise. So our Lord has not only given the man life, he has given him all that he needs to enjoy life with place, including later a spouse. But God does not stop there, of course. He gives Adam a job as a gardener and gives him the rules. Adam is bestowed with purpose, as a life of aimless wandering and consuming would be pathetic to say the least. So he is given work to enjoy. Solomon will later comment in Ecclesiastes that the life of eating, drinking, and taking pleasure in one's work is the good life. And God gives that to Adam without any of the vanity which Solomon complains has been added on account of death. Adam receives a fulfilling life along with a single rule to continue living in the righteousness with which he was born. We also note that this was a simple rule. Do not eat the forbidden fruit. With simplicity for the sake of good conduct, Adam was given an ethic that could grow over time. So in our passage, God gives everything to man that he needs. Life, food, water, a place to live, recreation, purpose, structure, and a path forward. Life, place, and purpose. And I repeat myself, but he does so in that order. God does not prepare Eden before giving life to Adam. Oh no. If he had, would Adam have seen how gracious our God is? Would this newly made man have seen the love that our Heavenly Father has for him? God could have simply made Adam, given him life, and said, Here you are, a whole world. Figure out how you shall survive. But he does not. To the contrary, God is actively involved in showing his care to humanity right from the start. 
of course, we all know that this amazing life in Eden does not last. Adam and his wife broke that great commandment, eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then they were expelled, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. From then on, Adam lost the image of God that is his righteousness and lived in a state of decay until death. Ever since then, we too have lived under the same fate as Adam. Now, why bar us from the tree of life? Well, it is a tree which, if you eat of its fruit, you live forever. If Adam had eaten of it, he would have remained a rebel against God for eternity, meriting the eternal fire reserved for the devil who first tempted us. But God never desired that this state of affairs should continue, with men being born and dying, their children being born and dying, their children's children being born and dying, and so on in an endless spiral of misery forever. He wants us to live forever, just not as sinners. So this tree of life is kept from us so that we may live eternally by different means. How is this achieved? How shall we live eternally when we cannot go to Eden and eat, and when we would not want to anyway as sinners? The tree of life certainly perished in the great flood or was taken up before it, so it is not like we could eat from it in the first place. So our Lord decided to do something amazing. He decided that if sin and death cause us to lose the image of God and be destroyed, then the solution is to create us again and go through the same process for each believer as he did for Adam. Let us read a very peculiar verse, one which is directly related to our reading. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If only we understood how literal that statement is. God recreates us and then showers us with grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. He does not destroy our personhood, you are the same you, after all, but instead he changes our nature and our future. In our reading, God brings life to Adam's body with the breath or spirit of life. Adam was an object, an inanimate corpse until that moment. So too were we dead until our Lord brought us into our new lives in Christ. We were once dead in our trespasses, more dead, in fact, than Adam had been before being made alive. The Holy Spirit who comes upon us at our baptism brings us into this conversion, making us dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Our Lord Jesus understood that this was a breathing of life into people the same way Adam received the breath of life. When he visited the apostles after rising from the dead, what does he do? From John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now after Adam is brought to life, God makes a place for him. To us, our Lord Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That is, the new heavens and the new earth spoken of in Revelation. Since our Savior is currently preparing it, this means that we are not in that new place yet. But we do experience it somewhat in our walk here on earth. God created Eden with a river and a tree of life. These will also be present in the New Jerusalem as St. John teaches, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. Yet just as the river in Eden broke off into distributary rivers, so too do the waters of life flow from the believer. From John 7, verses 37 through 39, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The life we live, we live unto God as the Holy Spirit directs us, just like distributary rivers. There is a tree of life as well in the New Jerusalem that our Lord Jesus is preparing. So too is the cross on which our Lord Christ died referred to as a tree. And what is the fruit of that tree but the man hanged upon it? And shall we eat of this fruit to receive eternal life? Absolutely. From John 6, verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When we go to communion, our eternal life in Christ is preserved until the day when we see the new tree in the new Jerusalem. God has provided us with everything we need here on earth to endure until we are in that new place. Mankind has always had a purpose and directives from God ever since Eden, but our purpose is renewed by the precious promise of eternal life given in the gospel. No longer do we have to wrestle with vanity and impending death as Solomon did, and no longer are we hopeless as the non-believers. God has remade, recreated us with the assurance that fulfilling our new ultimate purpose of the Great Commission and the daily task of caring for other believers shall reap eternal fruit. When we are remade by our Lord, we too have a simple ethic given unto us, one which can grow in complexity over time the same way don't eat the forbidden fruit was. This ethic is agape love, from which all of Christian morality springs. First, our agape love for God, then our love for our neighbor. So, beloved, God is in the business of creating, recreating, and recreating again. 
In each of our lives, he demonstrates the ultimate grace of doing for each of us what he did for Adam, giving us life, place, and purpose. Yet unlike Adam, he promises that we do and shall eat of the tree of life, namely our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may continue in his gracious provision forever. May we rejoice that we are made new and await the final recreation at the end of days when we are brought to the new place prepared for us. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.